0: and welcome back to Beware the Artist. I am Jeremy Gersa and this week on the show we have Justin Mortimer. Um, Justin, if you want to go ahead and tell everyone who you are and what is it that you do.
1: Hello, my name is Justin Mortimer. I'm talking to you from the UK. I'm sitting in my very cold studio where I paint pictures for a living.
0: So, um, Justin, you are an accomplished painter. Um, What themes do you find yourself exploring in your work
1: well lately it's been getting um back to the darkness i'd say having spent maybe two years painting flowers having said that flowers that were in in that space between life and death i have to say they weren't smiley happy pictures of flowers uh but now the figurative stuff's coming back in the people are starting to act out various ideas and stories i want to explore and uh, that's all going back to a lot of my portrait work that I used to do back in the day. Kind of the, the, the face coming
0: back, the figure, you know,
1: that kind of stuff starting to happen again.
0: So what made you kind of move to those flowers to begin with?
1: Well, I suppose I just go with how I feel at the time by what I witness and what I saw once when I was on holiday in France. I walked into a very dark church and I'd happened to see some some kind of votive flowers that had been left to kind of wilt and quietly fade away in the corner. And they were just in like an old little jam jar. And I I, I photographed them on my phone with the flash, a very crude photograph. And there was something about the way the flash veiled elements of this sort of biosphere that was existing in this tiny jar that were really surprising. And I thought, well, that's something I'm really interested in. And I wasn't expecting to be. I mean, I've painted still lives many times before, but there was something about the way the flash sort of vivisected the image somehow. And uh, it began a whole journey for me of using quite abstract, intuitive way of painting, along with very, quite graphic, um, distilled marks, uh, draftsmanship. And I just, carried on playing with it and seeing how far I got with it. And it just grew and grew and grew. And then in the end, I ended up painting um, about 10 very, very large versions of these flowers as well against these abstract backgrounds. And it was, just a, it was just a fun thing to do. And I felt the feedback I was getting from the work was fresh and interesting. And it's that kind of sensibility which I, which I discovered in those works, I want to bring back into the figurative work which I'm now exploring.
0: Nice, nice. I I love that uh, you're now taking something that you learned from that experience and then bringing it to what you're kind of more known for in in a certain sense.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I I felt I really, I mean, I may be known for doing figures, but also I really want to use the figurative form as well to tell stories. And having got this wider vocabulary through the flower explorations I was making, um, I felt that I could inject that kind of figurative work with something fresh for me and something um, surprising, which is what, which is what I'm always looking for, I suppose. Otherwise, yeah. it, it, frankly, it just gets really dull.
0: Mm, yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, speaking of, um, just kind of excitement within within your work. One thing that's always really excited me about um, your paintings are these kind of simultaneous realities within. Within your work, and and at points it, okay. it feels it feels as though that the the paintings themselves are only just a, a couple strokes away from almost imploding in their in oh their kind God. of creation. Um, can you speak to these kind of simultaneous realities and also maybe describe your relationship between figuration and abstraction?
1: Well, I think the abstract element that came into the work just came in. Uh, it just felt natural, it just grew within me, and I allowed it to do that. Um, I didn't want to force myself into anything, so I'm always open to something. So with the abstraction that, that developed, it just seemed right somehow, because reality, when you've been painting realistic, illusionistic pictures for so long, prosaic qualities in reality sometimes can become quite dull and boring. I don't want to paint every single radiator tube, uh, pipe, every single flex, all that kind of stuff. Um, And I felt the tension with the abstract allowed a kind of a, me to relax as a painter. I could enjoy color again, I could enjoy marks, not having to be restricted by a certain reality. I would allow myself some realities, like say the way light describes um, an arm, or a crease describes arm, say, and I would enjoy that. But if I wanted to put it against a big yellow color field, why not? And also that's something that I used to do many years ago. I used to paint some um, very flat pictures, very uh, highly, highly colored paintings. And then around about 2000, I, I, I stripped the color all the way out and went very, very dark or mo- initially monochromatic. And uh, I suppose I'm just bringing the two back together again, having gone through that whole bandwidth of exploration I want to come back to that. But to answer another part of your question, there's something about the tension between a reality and abstraction and to the point where it almost falls apart. The illusion starts to to fragment Mm -hmm. and uh, which you you allude to in the the way the paintings are like two brush strokes strokes away from collapse. And I really, really like that. I mean, I've often spoken to people, well, occasionally I've spoken to people and they've said to my, about my work that it kind of annoys them that it's it, it's like, why do I never quite reveal it completely to the viewer? Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like the hidden, I like the obfuscation, the, the clouding, the, the, the mystery. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you give you give people an opportunity to uh, really sink into the image itself um, through this kind of decoding of what it is that they're looking at, and then the image slowly starts to reveal itself in a, in a really interesting way.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, because I've I've always tried to reject spoon feeding the viewer mm-hmm. and saying, right, like, now look at this bit, and this is this bit, and you can clearly see how clever I've been here painting that fingernail. I'm not I'm not interested in that. I'm I'm interested in, in that mystery and the viewer has to work a little bit harder. Yeah, yeah, and I think that I think that gives longevity to an image as well. When, when it works, <clears throat> sometimes it can just the abstractness can just be far too much and the whole thing collapses. But when it does start to work, um it surprises me. And I have to work a little bit harder about what actually is happening in this picture. You know, when the floors disappear, when, when picture space starts to collapse, you have to wonder. What actually is happening in this mm. painting and then I have to maybe go back in dig a little bit deeper and maybe give a few more clues about what's happening just a few pointers but then the next day I might come in and just scrape it all off again and it becomes more and more difficult and in fact I think my more my more successful paintings are the ones that are trickier and definitely more
0: more awkward to read mm. yeah so uh, how are you making these choices? How are you saying, well, when, when is uh, it enough to kind of stop? That, that is the
1: question that <laughs> every artist struggles with, I think. And um, You know, it really bugs me when I when I paint, when I, the first marks are really good, but I really want those marks to have be been a different color or a different tonal weight or something like that. And so I, I go in and then do it again, and then I, the, the work gets more and more worked at, and it's and it's rubbish. So somehow you, it's almost as if I should I should sort of do a rehearsal on another piece of <laughs> canvas, and then when I'm really super hot and you know cooking away nicely, then I then I do that first draft on on the big canvas, say, and that's the one that'll stay. I won't mm-hmm. go back in and rework it. Re- yeah.
0: So how 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 does a painting actually start for you? Well,
1: I tend to uh, go through secondhand books, um, internet of course, uh, images that I've collected over the years, uh, which I have collected and scanned onto my computer along with a lot of photographs I take, very, very bad photographs I have to say, which is kind of the point really, anything too artistic I reject, but, um, and I end up with this big kind of pile of ingredients which I then just play around with and see what, what uh, sparks off with each other or, or sets off an idea, or just it could just be a shape or a colour, a tension of line, something like that. And that might be the, the starting point for a picture. And I might spend a week or a couple of hours, depending on how lucky I am, because it is totally intuitive. Mm-hmm. And it is quite a lot of lucks involved as well. And I'll build up a semblance of some kind of uh, mise-en-scene, some kind of happening, like a stage set, in fact. And and then I'll probably just collapse the whole thing, use the elements that I've used with the knowledge that I've gained through playing around with them, like a choreographer, just testing their dancers or exercising their, their, their actors, if you like. And then gradually bring it all together. I make a print from this digital collage that I make and I'll square up a canvas and square up the print. And the print is like my model. So I'll be, that's my reference material. And uh, the next day, invariably, I'll have a slight change of idea or or something suggested. I've been suggested something to myself and I'll make another collage and then apply that next layer of paint from that collage on top of the previous day's work. So it's like a palette sets things start, things grow. And that's why I always have, um, grid is often the people ask me why the grid is always there which I use purely just as a scaling up tool Mm -hmm. but it's always there because every day I tend to re-grid to add in the next layer you know so that's why it stays there on the surface and I and also I just really really enjoy painting over things and seeing how things crunch together and looking for those serendipitous moments where two layers of my collage or collage painting come together so a byproduct of working like that means that I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pieces of paper, which are my digital collages, which I printed, which is, which is exciting, you know, and, and I yeah. do love that. And uh, I have quite a nice archive of those now.
0: Yeah. Do you think you'll ever uh, ever kind of release them in some kind of book, just kind of documenting that?
1: Yeah, interestingly, that, that, there is a possibility that might happen.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, but it's very, very early days thinking about that interesting yeah. interesting so when you're in the studio and you're working what is the atmosphere in your space do you have music playing uh, do you have podcasts what's what's going on yeah i mean music really is a big part of my life and uh,
1: up until a few weeks ago i was playing music every day on my stereo in the studio but my 1970s quad stereo system has uh, done it's has decided to break again so i've sent it back to factory in Cambridge to get it fixed again. I mean, it is literally from 1970, I think. But it's fantastic. Uh, of course, I stream stuff from my phone onto my headphones. I'm listening to that quite a lot. Um, uh, my studio's unheated, so I work often... I've got about six layers on under here. I'm actually quite a skinny guy and it kind of a bit bigger. But yeah, it's absolutely freezing. I'm only not wearing a hat just pure vanity for this situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got quite a nice big space. Um, it's, it's been difficult getting here during this whole outbreak. Mm. I mean, in March, I just set up a little studio at home in my spare room, which is about six to seven miles away from here, but that's a good 40 minute drive 40 minutes. Well, I'm driving back to this studio now because it's, it's a bit risky now to travel on the underground system here, which right. I, I usually do, and which I like, because after a day's painting, I paint from about 10 till seven evening, and uh, no, a bit earlier, actually, maybe six o'clock I stopped. And I like to get on the tube and do the crossword or, 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 or I've taken photographs of my painting I've just been working on. And I'll often sit on the tube and um, do digital drawings on my phone, really crudely, just working out compositions the next day. I'll flip the image, I'll turn it upside down. It's that kind of liminal moment between work and home. So by the time I've got home, um, My partner's there and she's doing what she's doing and we can just relax and I can switch off completely from the studio. And that's why I was. it was kind of interesting to see how it would work having the lockdown studio at home to see if we could both work in the same space without killing each other.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it turned out we could just about do it. It was a bit difficult at first, but. (laughs) Um, So how important is play and experimentation with your studio practice? Yeah, pretty much I mean with the flowers
1: that we touched on what was really exciting about that was the element of play involved in that process I used uh, a lot of ab- a lot of um, acrylic paint to create these abstract backgrounds very free very loosely I was I was putting the canvas on the floor and literally throwing the paint at it mo- and manipulating it and just seeing where it would go and uh, for me that was really really interesting okay maybe it's um Day one on your foundation course but for me it was it was truly liberating and uh, and I would photograph those uh, those abstract sort of mud pies I was making and then work out what was going to go on top but the point was I was just having really good fun in the studio and that's why the, the series kept going and uh, and then I started incorporating
0: sprayed paint into it which was fun as well was that your first experience with uh, sprayed paint into the painting I mean I'd used cans before. Mm-hmm. but i didn't it wasn't the, the only
1: thing is they're acrylic or enamel or lacquer and, and it and it doesn't work it's not stable with the oil paint so i started to spray um, acrylic on a base layer and then oil on top and then once i was all hazmat is up with various respirator stuff i was spraying oil as well but it's not to be recommended it, it, it's pretty damn toxic yeah
0: yeah but it,
1: it, but it worked it did work
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, um so some of your imagery in your paintings, they, it comes from these disparate sources, these disparate uh, materials. Um, yeah. and They they come together to create kind of their own narrative. Um, you, you've spoke a little yeah. bit to it in the beginning about um, not wanting to spoon feed the viewer, but how mm-hmm. much of the narrative um, are you controlling and how much of the narrative are you kind of leaving open for the audience? Bit of both really,
1: bit of both. I, I, I want to get down what I want to get down and then I, I just, they, they take on their own life, you
0: mm-hmm.
1: know? And I can only see it through my own objective eye. I mean, when, it, when it's out there and other people are seeing it, it's incredible how blind I've been to glaring problems, or um, I mean, I like to run my pictures past my girlfriend at home, because uh, she, she'll spot a massive uh, compositional benefit or issue, and we can discuss that, you know? So that's quite a good, quite a good way of working. Oh.
0: Yeah um, also it seems as though there's this really interesting kind of uh, you know relationship between color and light in your in your paintings. There seem to be some things that become actual vehicles for color and light within your compositions.
1: Uh, yes yes I, before I was doing the abstract work, I was looking for those vehicles mm-hmm. so those vehicles certainly about seven years ago became uh, Flares that were either released at a football game, a riot, um, or CS gas canisters, backlit CS gas canisters, stuff like that, which I was looking at from race riots in the US and France and places, and you know, places like that, uh, which now, of course, have become more prescient, everything, but there's always been unrest. But anyway, those were um, vehicles I was trying to use to create just a new environment, a new atmosphere, which I wanted to explore. And uh, I suppose then I was um, using the flares and the smoke bombs purely for their local color. Now I tend to bring color in a a more oblique way. Well, I don't know, maybe I'm being, maybe I'm confused, I don't know. But yes, that's
0: certainly what I was trying to do with those subjects. Um, So, I I like to ask this question to every artist that I I have on the show, Um, but if there is one piece of art that you have to experience in person before you die, what is that one piece of art you want to see?
1: Uh, Well, I'll tell you what, I'd love to see the cave paintings in France, you know, the Mm. 10,000 year old cave paintings. I mean, you can't get get to them now. Um, There's just a facsimile has been made, which you have to experience, which is fine. Um, I'd love to see Kate Bush live, another type of art, art you know, stuff like that. Um, apart from that, every, the actual art I'd like to experience, um, I don't have a number one painting I want to see before I die. or a piece of art. It would be more something more to do with a trace of past civilization like a ruin or, or pigment blown around someone's hand in a cave mm-hmm. millennia ago, that to me,
0: great. And who would you call some of your kind of influences that have uh, kind of influenced your career or influenced the the type of paintings that you actually make?
1: Um, yeah, that's a, it's a surprisingly tricky question to answer. And I can tell you pictures I've always been looking at. I mean, I was um, I had a very good art teacher at school when I was a, a schoolboy and. Um, she. Introduced me to 19th century French painting. And I think that's where my love of Degas has, has always come from. Mm. Um, and that's someone I always go back to. I know he's a grumpy old bastard or whatever, but I don't really care. I want I just want to look at the way he exploded the whole image, pushing things around, the colour, and it's also his touch, which I find endlessly fascinating. So mm. someone I always look at. I mean contemporary painting, I tend to look at a lot of abstract painting, interestingly, I don't I don't seek out figurative painting, but a lot of art I really do like is art that's made without that big kind of heavy, I'm making art label stuck to it. So a lot of outsider art, folk art, art that's made by accident by people. Uh, I, I really get a big kick out of that, you know. Um, I mean, as for figurative painting, now that I look at, I suppose I was very involved and interested in the Leipzig school that was that emerged uh, maybe 20 years ago and a lot of the work that was coming from the former Eastern Bloc because, of course, they were all trained to, to make yeah. figurative art. And when I left art school, that was a big no-no in in UK. Um, so I, I did take sucker from that, those artists, because there wasn't a lot of figuration happening in the UK when I left college, apart from so, someone who's well-known like maybe Jenny Saville.
0: And uh, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but when you came out of school, kind of the YBAs were like the the mm. hot ticket. That was that was yeah, the trend. Yeah. Um, And you you are this kind of classically trained figurative artist. Um, yet you kind of stuck to your vision and you kept making work. Um, many of my former classmates and and current students, sometimes to their detriment, they they give into this that those trends. Um, I- what was it like for you to kind of you know stick to your guns can you can you speak to that experience and just kind of trusting yeah, well, your own vision
1: yeah i mean I, I left art school um in 1992 so yba scene in london and internationally was absolutely embedded in the system and institutions so um I, I did go to an art school called The Slade, which is part of the Slade, which is part of University College London, which does have a kind of a figurative tradition, but it was very much on the wane when I left, and there were some famous British painters there teaching people like you and like that, who came from this school, the London School. But I didn't have so much contact with him maybe occasionally on a Friday evening, but at the end of a session. But I, I actually rejected a lot of that when I was at art yeah. school. I, I wanted to have more time to explore. But having come out from art school and having the YBAs around me, it was very, very tricky. And there was, a, no, no one was interested in figurative painting apart from um, the way that the way to, to survive as a figurative painter was to become a portrait painter, which I did by default really. And there, there, there is and has, there is and was a very strong portrait scene. It meant that I was able to paint portraits of of people to get a studio, it was my my job. So for that, I was very thankful. But curators weren't putting together figurative shows, Um, young artists weren't making figurative paintings. So I just really had to just dig in deep, do the portraits, make enough to pay the studio rent and for home, and just tell my own stories with my own paintings. And then gradually, only until very, very recently, have people really given a shit about this kind of work. And um, and for that, I, I'm really grateful, you know, but I had to stick to guns and uh, I don't know, pig headedness, um, <laughs> it's what I've always done. It's also all I'm kind of good at. I'm not very good at anything else, but I do like to draw and I do like to paint. And uh, so I just, it was just natural to do it. And of course, when I was younger, I, I did get waylaid by fashions of the time and um, things like that. And you just have to negotiate your way out of it by, by working all the time
0: and getting feedback from friends and keeping your eyes open. Um, so in your opinion, what can what can painting say that that other mediums cannot? Uh, well, for me, it's the presence of the
1: artist in front mm. of that canvas, which is there when I look at a painting. And I, and I find that endlessly magical. I mean, just even the most well-known paintings, say about, say, like, maybe Picasso or someone like that. For me, it's standing in the space that he stood at in front of that painting and then seeing the traces of his hands or any other artist say, um, I love that. It's, that it, it's, like a, it's, like, um, it's like being able to travel in time, you know? It's fantastic. Yeah. You're, so, you're, you're so suddenly in touch with the person, that human being like yourself who made that work and the humanity in that I find endlessly moving. A bit like the way um, a really good piece of vinyl had recorded those actual vibrations that were made at the time and and it's that connection I like that very much.
0: I I love that that reference to the vinyl that there's something human about that yeah Uh, yeah Um, when I also kind of have these interviews another question I I love to ask is uh, what is the the best advice you have received over the years? And what is one piece of advice that you would like to give to a kind of up and coming generation of creatives? Oh,
1: well, certainly the first, to answer the first question, someone once said to me, um, play to your strengths. I mm. well, yeah, okay. That sounded very simplistic, but in fact, it's still something I have to remember. When I was talking about being distracted by fashions and things like that, whilst keeping it, an eye open but do what you're good at and you will enjoy it because often if you're good at something and it come it will come easily if it comes easily people tend to mistrust that if it comes easily that's not a bad thing you're allowed mm. to enjoy that so yeah play to your strength as for the second question what to say to up and coming an artist well I don't know, really. Try to enjoy yourself and be prepared to work really, really hard uh-huh. and, uh, and train yourself to be able to focus for long periods of time on your own. Then you should be okay, you know? <laughs> Read lots of books, watch lots of films, listen to lots of music, try to speak to your friends as often as possible and, and keep, keep your eyes open, keep looking. I mean, for me, art, what I love about being an artist is it makes me look at stuff that no one else has noticed in the world could be the the way an old tea bag sits on a shelf or a or a blade of grass, something that you just walk past without looking at when, when you when you're an artist, you have a trained eye, and the world, however boring a situation you might be in at that moment, will be interesting and I love that
0: that's beautiful that's that's I, I, that's such a great. I think that's that's a great place to kind of end end this conversation. Um i, w- I want to leave Excellent. on that note. Um yeah. so w- with that all being said, um if people are looking for your work, where might they be able to find it?
1: Uh well probably the best place to find is uh, through my Instagram account and my website, uh which is which is basically justinmortimer.co.uk is my website and it's Justin Mortimer Artist on Instagram. Um, as for institutions and stuff, I'm still waiting for those. Uh, I have a couple of portraits in the National Portrait Gallery here in London, but yeah, online obviously is, is the easiest way to find the work because the actual paintings themselves uh, are mostly in private collections. They're all tucked away, sadly. <laughs> Happy for me because I've stolen, but not so good for the audience. Yeah.
0: All right, Justin, thank you so much for being on the show. This was an absolute pleasure for me. Hey, Jeremy, um, you're
1: welcome. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Everyone, if you're looking for Justin's work, make sure you check it out and I will see you all next week. All right, thanks. See ya.